I find that a lot of individuals see emotional eating or binge eating or even overeating as a problem that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if they just fix this behavior, everything's going to fall into place. But that's actually like our body talks to us. It doesn't talk to us through words. It talks to us through sensations. It talks to us through symptoms. And if we can start to see that the urge to emotionally eat or binge eat is information of dysregulation in our body, we start to actually view it differently of, oh, can I slow down enough to notice that actually even the urge to reach for food when I'm not physically hungry is my body's way of talking to me. It needs help, it needs support. It's moved into a fight or flight response. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and a saturated creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I've got Stephanie Mara Fox on the podcast. Um, She's based in the US. She, I didn't actually ask you how old you are. How old are you? I'm 36. 36, and she has no kids. She has a fur baby, just like me. Um, And I wanted to get her on the podcast today to talk about emotional um, eating and binge eating. Uh, I actually was introduced to Stephanie through Amanda, the hormone healing RD, who's been on the podcast a few times to talk about hormonal contraception and other hormonal stuff, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, I, when I came across your page, I was like, oh, this is good. This is really good. I think you'd be <laughs> you'd be great to get you on the podcast because, mm-hmm. you know, um, obviously if you're listening to this, you'll know that we work with women, you know, typically 30s, 40s and 50s, done a lot of restrictive diets like me, keto, fasting, you know, flog themselves with cardio, binge eating. Um, and once they come into our program and actually start nourishing their body and eating carbohydrates again, eating adequate fuel, sleeping through the night, you know, strength training, the binge eating stops. But For a lot of women, um, you know, even though they're doing all the right things on paper and they're fueling their body and eating adequate carbs and getting the right nutrients, they're still emotionally eating and still binge eating and self-sabotaging, even though they know what they need to do. And I think for a lot of women, there's deeper issues. And like you spoke about your childhood trauma, and I just think, um, yeah, I'd love to just for you to talk more about that. But anyway, before we jump into that, do you just want to tell everyone a bit more about who you are and your background and why you got into what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been practicing as a somatic nutritional counselor for over a decade now. And basically I created something called somatic eating. And what that means is it's more of a body-oriented, sensation-focused, therapeutic approach to eating. And what I found in my work is that I started off, you know, absolutely doing all the more focused on the physical component of making sure someone was eating balanced meals and balancing their macronutrients and eating consistently and all of that good stuff. But what I kept finding over and over again, because at the beginning of my work, it was mostly focused on digestive issues because I actually had pretty bad digestive issues early on in my 20s, is that there was this piece around emotional eating that kept coming up. And as I started to dig more and more into exploring individuals' journeys with emotional eating, which was a part of my journey as well, there was this underlying piece of trauma and nervous system dysregulation. 
And so if we can start to experience emotional eating and binge eating as information from our body, which is a really different way to view this behavior. I find that a lot of individuals see emotional eating or binge eating or even overeating as a problem that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if they just fix this behavior, everything's going to fall into place. But that's actually like our body talks to us. It doesn't talk to us through words. It talks to us through sensations. It talks to us through symptoms. And if we can start to see that the urge to emotionally eat or binge eat is information of dysregulation in our body, we start to actually view it differently of, oh, can I slow down enough to notice that actually even the urge to reach for food when I'm not physically hungry is my body's way of talking to me. It needs help. It needs support. It's moved into a fight or flight response. And, you know, I, it took me a long time to even adopt that perspective myself because I also binge ate for a period of time in my own life. And for me, it wasn't the physical reasons. For me, it was the emotional reasons. And I really like to explain this difference between physical and emotional hunger. So physical hunger, you know, biological need to basically function and exist. We need it. Thank goodness we have an appetite that reminds us like, hey, I need more nourishment to come in for me to keep living in this world. You know, oftentimes physical hunger, it comes on very gradually and slowly. It's not picky. It's like, just feed me something so that I can keep going here. Whereas emotional hunger, it's very specific. It's very pushy. It's demanding. And usually the things that we crave are often things that either are coming from, if we are living in a fight or flight response, think about, okay, if you're constantly running away from a tiger, what does your body need? It needs sugar. It needs carbohydrates. It needs these foods to be able to be like, okay, I have enough nourishment to keep like running this race away from this tiger. And then also, sometimes the foods that we want to reach for come from memories. So memories of our past experiences that felt regulating. So for example, a big one for me was ice cream. And I have a ton of memories as a kid, like joyous, happy memories of eating ice cream with my family, with my friends. And so our body remembers this. And so when we are feeling dysregulated, it's like, wait a second, okay, what foods make me feel good? And it just recalls of like, oh, do you remember that time we were like with our friends and, oh, we had that great experience with ice cream and we try to eat ice cream again to feel that same connection and regulation and safety, but it wasn't really about the food. It was the context that we were eating the food in. And so we can start to get curious, oh, when I crave specific foods, what is that trying to tell me about what my emotional body is needing? And do you think this is just, I'm thinking back to like when I used to um, uh, like really binge and comfort eat. So like I would, and I think about the difference now, like, you know, like I just love ice cream like like you and I eat it every night for after my um, dinner and I have a hundred, I just make this homemade ice cream and I sometimes will have some little sultanas on there or I'll grate a piece of dark chocolate and I just have my small bowl of 150 grams and it's good. But when I would comfort eat, I would eat beyond that. Like I would eat beyond the hunger and just continue to eat, even though I felt sick because I was like, oh, it's like was comforting me in a way. And then I would think, oh, it's all right. You can just get up tomorrow and like you can start again. You know, it's like eating beyond the actual hunger. 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's take that circumstance, for example, of let's say, for example, like, okay, a lot of the times this eating behavior happens in the evenings and you're going, going, going all day long. You wake up and maybe it's a race all day long. You have work to do. You're a parent. You have a lot of things to get done in your day. And maybe you don't check in with yourself all day long just to name, wow, I'm feeling really stressed out. Wow. My body feels really tight today. You know, so you get to the evening, finally at a period of time where you can start to slow down and relax and you are flooded with all of these sensations and emotions that have been wanting your attention all day long. Oh my gosh, how overwhelming is that? And so then here comes the food to say, okay, like we don't have to pay attention to this. It's actually a really wise strategy for the food to come in to keep you inside what is called your window of tolerance. So basically what your window of tolerance is, is what you can flow with throughout the day. When you're inside your window of tolerance, it's not like everything feels good. Even when something maybe upsetting happens, it's like, okay, that was upsetting, but I can flow with this. Now, if something happens like that rush of emotion, then it kind of sends us outside of our window of tolerance where we have to do something to bring us back in. So I don't love the concept of like self-sabotage, because really we're doing our food actions for a very wise reason to support ourselves in feeling regulated and safe. And so by eating that much ice cream, potentially in the evenings, ooh, you are bringing yourself back inside your window of tolerance of what you can flow with. It feels safe and regulating to eat. Oh my gosh. I mean, just the act of chewing, it stimulates what's called our vagus nerve, which are the main nerves in our parasympathetic nervous system, which is your relaxation response. And so there's a lot that's happening inside your body. I mean, eating produces dopamine and endorphins and serotonin and like all of these things that no matter what you're eating, eating is going to feel good in your body. But mm -hmm. the issue is, is that we have to keep eating over and over and over again and not stop eating to continue to receive that safety and regulation that we're looking for. So I like to kind of imagine, you know, those childhood toys that are like the square hole and the circle hole and the diamond mm -hmm. and, you know, you have to put the corresponding peg in the right hole. Now, choosing food for an emotional hunger. It's like trying to shove the circle peg into the square hole. It can, you can kind of like try and jam it in there, but it's never really gonna fit. Food is never gonna provide the long-term emotional satiation that you're looking for. What about also, can I just jump in alcohol? Cause that's another one that clients do. And I used to do too, is I would drink, you know, I would feel stressed you know, like something had happened during the day and I think I've just got to have a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, alcohol, like it's, you know, it brings you down. It is a depressant. Mm. And so like, if you are again in a fight or flight response, if you think of that, that and nothing wrong with the sympathetic nervous system, we actually need it to work out. We need that mobilization to, you know, get our body moving and going. So when I say more of the fight or flight response, it's like when we are kind of overly mobilized in our body where we feel like we're feeling threatened. There's like a danger in our environment. And that can just be like there was too much on our plate in the day. That something will come in to either, you know, if we are feeling shut down and frozen, we will choose something to upregulate us. Or if we're feeling too high and buzzy and on edge, we're going to bring something in to kind of try and downregulate us. 
But the thing about these kind of external substances is that they do it in the short term. They don't often do it in the long term. And that's why kind of we have to start to learn nervous system regulation acts that then food is released from the responsibility of supporting us and regulating. Mm, mm, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. So um, uh, I don't know, I guess, so like, let, let's say you, because I think too, I just want to jump in and say, this is a lot of the women that we work with, you know, they, they actually under eat during the day. So I'm like, let's assuming that you've actually eaten enough and you've supported your body with the amount of nutrients and calories it's ne- it needs. Because a lot of them will, you know, get up in the morning, skip breakfast. And then, you know, they don't eat enough during the day and they get to the night and their body is in this debt, I guess, energy, nutrient debt. And they're like, holy shit, I just want to eat everything. So let's just assume that you are supporting your body. You're actually eating enough calories, but lots of shit's going wrong during the day. Um, and you get to the night and you're like, I've had a really shit day. I just want to eat a whole tub of ice cream to feel better. Yeah, yeah. What should you do so, then? <laughs> so just want to add in the first scenario, I often more call that protective eating. Mm. because at some point, if you aren't eating enough, your body is going to take over and make sure that it gets the nutrition that it needs. Mm. And so if we could more view, have a compassionate view of that nighttime eating, that Mm. it's not that you are doing anything wrong or bad or that even, you know, that internal dialogue that says you're weak or you need to gain control or something like that. It's a biological response to actually not giving your body enough fuel, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that food needs to come in so that you can, you know, do the same pattern all, all <laughs> over again. But so let's say the second scenario is like you have eaten enough. You started to experience, wow, consistent rhythmic eating, so important. You know, having balanced meals throughout the day really stabilizes me. But you get to the end of the day and like, yeah, then it's, oh my gosh, I have this huge urge to want to eat everything. At that point in time, it's kind of identifying okay, I'm feeling an emotional hunger. This is not a physical hunger. You can even sometimes I like to offer to individuals, you can rate from a scale from like one to 10, how hungry do I feel? Just to start to slow down and tap into your body. And you're like, oh yeah, I I don't really feel physically hungry at all. Okay, so this is an emotional hunger. And you might even get curious. All right, so with the food that I'm thinking of eating, if you can slow down enough, And you also feel regulated enough to ask these questions. So I want to caveat this with sometimes we feel so overwhelmed and so stressed out at the end of the day that it's even hard to slow down to ask ourselves a question because we are not living in our prefrontal cortex at that point in time. We're actually living in our amygdala, which is our fear response. We are reacting, not responding. And so also if you get to the end of a whatever bag of chips, tub of ice cream, fill in the blank, your choice of food. It's never too late to check in with yourself. Sometimes food is going to feel like the best option in that moment. And then as soon as you feel like you've come back online again of like, okay, food was a tool. I used it to help me emotionally regulate. That's okay. That's not a problem. Now that I feel reconnected, what's going on? How was my day to day? What's emotionally showing up for me? Sometimes we can catch ourselves before, sometimes it's during, sometimes it's after. But if you can catch yourself before, what you might start getting curious about is, okay, what have I connected with this food? 
You know, like, what do I think I will receive from this food? So our ongoing example is ice cream. So, you know, let's say it's like, okay, I'm craving ice cream. And what do I think I'm going to get from eating a bunch of ice cream right now? Oh, well, I think I'm going to receive calm, relaxation, peace, uh, you know, decompression, all all the things that we think we will get from this kind of food. All right. When was the last time that I ate a lot, a lot of ice cream? How did I actually feel in my body? And what this is enhancing is called interoception, which is learning the felt sense of your body. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I just wanted to jump in quickly and talk a little bit more about our seven-day eat more, train less, get results challenge. So if you're new to the podcast, Um, and following me, or say you've been following me for a while and you've been sitting on the fence, the challenge is a great way to get started. Craig and I developed the challenge after working with women for over eight years, and it was purposely built for women who want to achieve sustainable results without drastically cutting calories, sugar and carbs, or working out six days a week. So we want to show you how you can lose weight, tone up, but also feel good. So that means good sleep, no bloating, constipation, stable energy and moods, regular and relatively symptom-free periods and no perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. Unlike other programs that you'll find online, it's a holistic approach. So it provides you everything you need for long-term sustainable weight loss and body composition change while feeling good. So the seven-day challenge uh, provides a full meal plan, a workout plan for home and the gym with training exercise videos to guide your workouts. We've got metabolically supportive recipes, a recipe book, advanced supplement guides, direct support via our private community um, and Facebook page, and most importantly, education for long, long-term long success. So I actually got this great message in our private Facebook group yesterday from a woman who's listened to the podcast for two years, but only recently joined the challenge. So she said, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, but just joined the challenge four days ago. I want to express my gratitude for all the amazing information Kitty and Craig offer in this challenge. I was hesitant to sign up because I only have dumbbells at home and I'm not ready to join the gym, but I'm super impressed so far and really excited to make positive changes in my life. So the challenge is a one-off payment of 27 Australian dollars and you get lifetime access and we have clients all over the world in the program. So I'm going to pop a link in the show notes with more information and let's get back to the podcast. And oftentimes when we are stuck in patterns of binge eating, emotional eating, we can feel very disconnected from our body and how it is feeling. And so we kind of have to slowly start learning, how does my body actually feel? Okay, if I can reflect on the past time that I ate a lot of ice cream, you know what? I didn't feel calmer. I felt overwhelmed. I felt bloated. I felt lethargic. I felt tired. You know, so we start to actually interrupt the mental connection of the memory of saying, oh, if I eat this food, I'm going to get this and say, actually, my body's story is I'm not going to get that. And I often find that there is a lot of grief that can actually show up in that space of saying, oh my gosh, this thing that I've been doing over and over and over again, trying to produce a certain experience, emotional experience in my body, I'm never going to get, it's never going to give me that. And there can be a lot of sadness and grief that can show up in that space because then it's, oh, if that's never going to do it, it kind of means I have to start attending to the reasons why food was coming in to begin with. 
Yeah, I really like that. It's, it's you know, like I think it could be quite hard initially to catch it before, but I think, you know, like you say, if you do it, don't beat yourself up, but you can then the next time you can, because like I remember that too, like I would eat like this, I would eat these large packets of, I always remember specific foods. So like there were these bloody corn chips and chips. I still like love chips. I mean, I still love chips. Um, And I would eat the whole packet and like you'd be eating it, loving it, loving it. And then you'd feel a bit sick and you'd feel really bloated and you'd feel really like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Um, But like you say, the next time when you think about you want to go and eat it, try and remember how did I feel after it? Did it actually like really help me? with the thing that I was feeling emotional about. I really like that because I think it will be hard initially, hey, to like stop it. Like, yeah, you have to sort of maybe do it. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's pausing Yeah, (laughs) afterwards and saying, okay, even in the discomfort, because a lot of the times with emotional eating and binge eating, we have to start to have a different relationship with discomfort and Mm -hmm. saying, oh, it is safe to actually feel how I'm feeling. It's okay that there's discomfort that's present here right now and not experiencing that as threatening or dangerous anymore, that it's like, oh, okay, this is just an experience that I'm having in my body. And sometimes I even like to take the label away from the emotion that we think that we're feeling and get really descriptive with the sensations. Okay. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying like, oh, I'm bloated. Okay. Because there's a lot of like, story that can go along with the idea of I'm bloated was mm. like, all right, so my belly is distended. My belly feels tight. And then we get to actually be with, okay, what does it feel like in my body for my belly to feel this way? Could I actually put my hands on my belly and say, oh, it is actually okay to feel bloated or uncomfortable right now and to have these sensations be present? The interesting thing uh, is that when we name just how we're feeling, research has shown that by bringing language to uh, emotion, that it actually moves us from our amygdala to our prefrontal cortex. So then we are back in the part of our brain where we have more logic, we have more reasoning, we have more choice of how we want to respond to what is showing up in our body. And yeah, it's a practice where it's first saying, okay, I'm just going to name, I chose food in this moment for an emotional hunger reason. And Mm -hmm. actually, that's not a problem. I didn't do anything wrong or bad. What I find, though, is that there are emotions and sensations that even after we have consumed food that are still wanting our attention. It hasn't gone away. We think that by choosing the food, we're just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to choose this food and then I don't have to attend to the emotions and the sensations that are present. But I see it more like a dam that just keeps building over time, the longer that you're choosing food to self-soothe. And again, nothing wrong with that. Like I was there too at a period of time. And if you had told me, well, just stop doing that, I probably would have done it more. So, you know, like we are where we need to be and that it's a process of saying, okay, let me afterwards, after the binge, after the emotional eating experience, start to regulate, start to show my body. It might even be looking around the room. Okay, I just ate a bunch of food. And like really bring yourself out to your room and look around and say, well, nothing's really wrong right now. Mm. Like I'm fine. I'm safe. I'm in my home. 
I'm on my favorite couch, you know, like really starting to experience that just because you ate a bunch of food and maybe feel really, really full, that everything is still okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I really like that. I, um, and obviously have followed us or known me for long, but people who listen to this who follow me will know about our whole like TTC journey. So, and I won't go into it because it's long and you know, people don't need to hear it again. I've done podcasts on it if you want to go listen to it. But basically after sort of about, you know, 18 months, close to two years, Craig turned around and said, oh, I don't want to have a baby. You know, I didn't really ever want to have one. I was just doing it because you said you wanted to and blah, blah, blah. And um, and then we ended up, to, I've had a bit of a think about it and I was like, oh, do you really want to do it if he doesn't want to do it? And then, then I decided, okay, let's not have a baby. And I was really sad for about a day. And I think it was only a day because it had been a long time coming um and the next then the next day I was like oh I feel so great again like we've made this decision now we can move forward and you know I really love our businesses blah 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 anyway Mm -hmm. and up until a couple of days ago I hadn't I thought oh maybe there would be times when I would feel sad about it or you know like what if and there hadn't been which I was actually surprised about but then we caught up with a couple of our good friends and they've got two young kids and Craig was like holding um one of uh, their youngest uh, child, Chloe, and she's so cute. And I was just sitting there and after they left, I said to Craig, oh, you know, I actually felt a bit sad today, you know, like, you know, just thinking about what if, you know, what would our life be like if we had had a baby? Um, And usually the old me would just be like, okay, drink some alcohol, you know, go and binge eat, like you say, to self-soothe. But I think it's been really beneficial to like, I did the tapping with Greta and just, really sitting in it and just like I sat there for a while and thought just you can feel sadness kitty it's okay like there would be an alternate life where you had a baby and things would have been different and it doesn't mean you would be any happier than you are now you are happy now you know but I just sat in the feelings and sort of like thought about them and just felt curious and then after a while they just passed and they went away you know now I feel you know I'm just like and I think though like you say it takes time to really be able to because I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I don't think anyone likes to feel uncomfortable, but I think when you actually just sit there and sit in it and realise, or, you know, sometimes I would cry, you know, the crying I feel like really lets you release it. It's a good release, good for your central nervous system. Um, But, yeah, like before I would have just eaten or drank alcohol would be the go-to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I think that's where this work gets to go to is that you start to experience with, there's a word called titration, which is like you have to allow little tiny moments where you're dipping your toe into feeling something and then totally backing off of it and then dipping your toe back in again and then totally backing off of it. So if, you know, you're hearing, like listening to this and hearing like, okay, I got to feel my emotions. <laughs> you're going to jump you know, on like- It's going to be our totally- <laughs> Right. Like this isn't like sitting with your emotions for like 30 minutes, a period of time. Like, oh my gosh, how overwhelming that would be. So I'm talking about like set an alarm for like one second, Mm. one second say, okay, today I feel whatever it is, sad, overwhelmed, stressed, worried, anxious. And I'm going to feel how this feels in my body and describe it to myself for one second Mm. and then totally go do something else. So we have to start putting into our day these tiny little check-ins throughout a day so that it's we're getting these experiences of moving and guiding our body back into relaxation response over and over and over again so that when you get to the end of the day 
it's not that kind of like I was talking about before that dam where suddenly you feel completely overwhelmed with how much is wanting your attention. It's, oh, I've been feeling this in tiny little moments all throughout the day. And the goal isn't necessarily to always be in a relaxation response. That's literally not possible for any of us. It's more nervous system uh, kind of flexibility where, you know, if you think of it more like uh, pedals in a car, you know, this is kind of the example that I like to give of if your sympathetic nervous system is the gas and your parasympathetic nervous system is the brake, it's kind of starting to identify where's my foot. Okay, my foot, it's been really hard down on the gas today. I have been going all day long. How can I tap on the brake? That could be checking in with yourself. That could be slowing down and taking a few deep breaths. That could be calling a friend. That could be, you know, watching a funny movie. And then some other days you actually might notice that your foot has been heavy down on the brake where you feel immobile, like it's hard to get going. You're just like not moving at all. And it's like, what would actually help me tap on the gas today? oh, you know what, like getting up and, you know, taking a walk outside or, you know, kind of like putting on some music and dancing around my home. You know, it really, it's just about identifying where am I in my body? Where am I in my nervous system? And what might I need to upregulate or downregulate myself? So you're just kind of flowing with yourself all day long with where you're at. Mm -hmm. Mm, So good. Yeah. And it really does. I mean, it takes time, I think, but you can get there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it does take time. And I think that if we can start to see our relationship with food as the doorway and that I find that the way that we relate with food can be the way that we relate with everything else. And the way that we relate with food can also be a mirror of how we were taught to relate with food. So this can be we were taught by our parents. We were taught by our household growing up. You know, if you receive messages also about like, you have to finish all the food on your plate. You know, you cannot get up off the, out of this table until like that's done. Mm. Already at a really young age, you were taught to not listen to your body. Mm. Like you can't listen to your body. You have to listen to me, the external authority, which like, okay, if you were drawn to dieting, that might've felt comfortable on some level because it was what you were taught already to trust the external, not the internal. And so it takes time to kind of deconstruct that and say, you know what? I'm going to start trusting my body again, that my body's going to talk to me. My body's going to tell me what it needs and when. And if I am identifying that I'm not feeling physical hunger and that there is an emotional hunger present, it also takes time to learn what emotionally satiates you, mm-hmm. what fills you up and actually regulates you. And, you know, I like to really normalize that it's it's going to be unique to you. It's not like bubble baths and meditation and all these things that we're kind of taught. You know, it might be something like I've had individuals find really unique things of like they love playing an instrument or like blowing glass or creating like writing poetry or creating art. Like it, you are a unique individual that there's things unique to you that support you in feeling safe in this world. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's so it's so fascinating, isn't it? Like, I feel like there's just so, you know, obviously we look at train nutrition, we do some mindset stuff, but there is a lot deeper. There's a lot, a lot of the time there's deeper things. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. And um, what sort of like courses, like, do you have a book? Hey, do you have a book? 
Yes. So I am in the process of actually writing my book on somatic eating. I'm hoping that that is going to come back, come out in probably, hopefully maybe the next year or two. And so definitely go to stephaniemara.com, get on my newsletter, you know, stay in touch with me. So I have a couple of different offerings. One is you can work with me one-on-one in my somatic nutritional counseling practice. I also have a somatic eating program that runs twice a year. And the next program is actually going to come up at the end of April. So if you go to somaticeating.com and that's S-O-M-A-T-I-C eating.com. Uh, you can sign up to be on the wait list there. So you'll be first to know when doors open for that. And then I do have a mini course. Uh, so it's a somatic eating mini program. So if you just want to also dip that toe in of like, what is, this about? Stuff? what is this yeah. about? Uh, that's available as well. Oh, perfect. Perfect. And you think there's anything else you want to add that we haven't sort of discussed? Yeah. You know, I would say that if there's, I usually like to work in baby steps because Mm -hmm. if we try to do too much too fast, that can feel really, really overwhelming. And a lot of us are already living in a fight or flight overwhelmed state. And so if we can break this down into just a baby step is just to start inviting in curiosity Mm -hmm. because curiosity steps us out of that kind of uh, good or bad, right or wrong, you know, all or nothing mentality that we're taught from diet culture. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of just getting curious about, huh, I wonder why I'm craving that right now. Huh, I wonder why that was a behavior that I needed in this moment. You know, it brings in a lot of compassion that you are engaging in a certain relationship with food for a reason. And if we can start to bring in curiosity to see the wisdom in that reason, then a lot of healing can start to occur in that relationship that you don't have to then view your body or that behavior as threatening, where actually it can kind of put you in a cycle of you do the behavior, you see it as a threat. Then you feel uncomfortable. You do the behavior again because you're feeling uncomfortable. And then around and around and around we go. And so we have to first start seeing that you aren't doing anything wrong or bad. This isn't a behavior to feel shameful about. And already you will start to feel calmer in your relationship with food so that then as things start to slow down, maybe you can approach food more from that parasympathetic nervous system relaxation response place. A lot more inquisitiveness can come in of, huh, wonder why I might feel like I need this right now. And you know, then you can kind of like come work with me. We can explore the wisdom in your behaviors. And uh, I also have a podcast as well called Satiated. And so I explore kind of the wisdom in your food behaviors there as well. And so you you can also come check that out and, you know, dive deeper into this somatic eating work. Awesome. Oh, that was so great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed that. And I think the listeners will just get a lot um, out of it. So uh, what I'll do is I'll pop all the links that Stephanie's talked about. I'll pop them in the show notes so you can uh, find her and her website, go and follow her on Instagram. Um, yeah. And thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I just loved connecting with you today. Mm-hmm.